everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Raj Smith. Hello from Salt Lake. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and I just want to give you another quick reminder that you can find out about my freelancing journey at goingroguevideo.com. It's a 30-minute video detailing how I went from laid off to freelancing successfully. We also have a special guest, and that is Jeff Biggis. Hello. Uh, Since you haven't been on the show before, Jeff, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a uh, Mac and iOS programmer. I work uh, for my own company, have for about 17 years now. And um, lately, it's been all uh, Mac and iOS, maybe for the last seven years or so. And uh, come from a background that's maybe more uh, science, like uh, academic science. But uh, now I do a lot of just general programming stuff. Awesome. What what kinds of things have you been uh, academicing or <laughs> studying or whatever? Well, I used to do a bunch of uh, um, computational physics stuff. So I was in uh, I was in the physics world for a while, and before that, I was an uh, electrical engineer. So it was a lot of very uh, practical uh, engineering type programming, ugly code that got the job done. Boy, that sounds like what I do: ugly code that gets the job done. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Which is basically what I do now, except it's uh, a little more elegant these days. The tools are much nicer. Awesome. So we brought you on today to talk about the Accelerate framework. Yeah. Uh, It's part of the standard suite of libraries you get from Apple, it looks like. Can you explain briefly what it is or what it does? Sure. Um, it's a it's a set of really C libraries. It's called a framework, and normally when you hear framework, you think Objective C framework. Uh, but this is all C level calls. But the the goal of it is to give a set of functions, a humongous set of functions that can allow you to do common tasks much faster because they're heavily optimized. And as a consequence, it actually saves battery life. So you get more power and better energy use. And I would even make the case that if um, you get into it, that your code is actually often better. It's cleaner and it's more maintainable going forward. Huh. So what exactly is it used for? Well, it's really um, the way when you look at the framework, it looks like there are basically three areas that it seems to hit, which is audio, video, and images, and also mathematic, pure math functions. Uh, But since everything under the hood is all just bits, um, sometimes whether something's an image or audio or math is just your perspective on things. So a lot of times these functions that are in there can be used for even really mundane tasks that you might not be thinking about them as like you might grab an audio function to do something where you're simply doing some very simple calculation for something that has nothing to do with audio. Gotcha. Uh, I would imagine game programming would use it a lot, especially 3D. Oh, sure. Um, Game programming seems like the easiest uh, place to that would get the most immediate impact from this. But also uh, video and image processing. And actually, now I got just any media whatsoever. Anything where you're crunching a lot of numbers at once because you're trying to achieve a perceptual effect, something really immediate to the end user, and you want it to be done efficiently and as quickly as possible. So, does this kind of take the place of some of the other libraries that you would typically use if you're not really performance constrained in that way? Well, so 
there are times when this is not the best framework to use, but when it is, uh, you, you, you will often have to um, maybe benchmark it against something else. Like Apple has a library or a framework called Core Image, and then there are times when Core Image's image processing is faster than what you're going to get with one of the Accelerate libraries. There's one called vImage, which is the vector image library, and that's part of the Accelerate framework. And uh, there are times when you have to look at your code specifically and try each, because depending on what size image is and what kind of effects you're doing with these images, there are times when one library is going to be better than the other. Is Core Image easier to use than Accelerate Framework, or about the same, or does it matter? Well, I I find all graphics, uh, all all of that core graphics stuff difficult. So for me, it's all about the same. Um, I had about an as easy a time trying to use Core Image as I did with uh, V Image. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, run into Bill Dudney on a few different occasions, and he's a master at this kind of stuff. So he he was able to negotiate some difficult areas that I just, I don't know what to do with, with core graphics. So I'm not a really, I'm not maybe the right person to ask as far as how easy it is to go. But uh, there are times when, like if you're doing something uh, like virtual reality type stuff, where you need stuff in real time being processed, um, often that is a case where the vImage library is going to be optimized for what you're doing. But if you're using like average size images, it's more, it's more a question of the kind of data that you're working with than, um, whether or not the uh, API is easier to use. Although I know on a practical level how easy the API is uh, often is exactly a one-to-one correlation with what people do. And actually that gets to the point of uh, sort of the Accelerate Framework's whole problem throughout its whole lifespan. It it came about roughly around 2004 or so with with, uh, Jaguar and on the Mac side, and then it slowly in iOS 4 became part of the phone and the iPad stuff. But um, if you go to a session at the WWDC and you go watch an Accelerate talk or, you know, grab a video and watch those, the older videos would really just scare the pants off you when you looked at the APIs. <laughs> and everybody who went to those sessions would come out going, oh, my God, is that awesome. I am never, ever going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> and so they've, they've had this PR problem because I – and it really is – it's not as bad as it looks. And, and part of the reason I started giving talks on it at different conferences was um, if people could see simple examples doing actual things and side by side compare it to the code you'd have to write without it, and then also see the giant speed increase and the energy use improvement, uh, that it, it then becomes an easy sell. Because even though it's a C-level call for a lot of this stuff, a lot of the times the data that you're working with comes down to, you know, some floats and some doubles that you're multiplying or something like that. And um, often the the code itself looks better in the end, but you need an on-ramp. And that's something that uh, Apple sort of never really gave in their documentation or example code where really simple, here's how we walk from nothing to doing something awesome. So one difference uh, isn't, Core Images uses the uh, graphics processor and the Accelerate framework uses the special instructions on the CPU. Is, is that correct? That's what it does um, currently. Um, the, the Accelerate stuff is kind of funny because they sort of uh, reserve the right to do whatever is best under the hood at any given time. So while they are using a different set of maybe, I, I don't know 
what algorithms they're actually implementing these functions with. But um, if something is faster on the GPU, they will switch to the GPU. I'm not saying that the functions do that now, but as they go, they heavily optimize this code for each CPU that comes out. And obviously, these guys, they're at Apple. Sort of the greatest thing about all this is that the people who are working on this, they're all at Apple. Apple's got a very well-known set of hardware and chips, and it's not a zillion different kinds. So they can heavily optimize for exactly this chip and they know what the graphics pipelines are. So there are times when like a CPU operation can, can be faster purely because getting the data to the graphics card there and back gobbles up more time than what you save when it finally does something. Mm-hmm. So, and it's also, it's using stuff like all the extra registers. So on the Mac, you have your SSE stuff. And on the iOS, you have the Neon registers. So it's using parts of the CPU that are really generally not being used by general purpose programming. And maybe that's something worth mentioning. Like uh, All of this stuff is so optimized that very mundane tasks, like if you're running through a loop, just a simple for loop, and you've got two items that you're just multiplying, maybe you're doubling every element in some giant array because you're just trying to double the size of some part of your data set. By using these giant registers that are on the CPU, you can maybe grab you know, a handful, maybe 16 numbers at a time, do a multiply immediately, and then if the compiler optimizes stuff, maybe you can use the result that's still sitting on the CPU for the next step of your operation. So stuff where if you wrote it, in a normal way with your general C programming style where you take a couple of numbers, you multiply them, then you maybe divide them by something else on the next step. It might be going to the CPU, taking stuff out of RAM, doing the operation, putting the result back in RAM, and then there's all this traffic back and forth between your cache and back to the chip. And there are times when these routines in the accelerate framework are like, you know what, the result we need is already still on the CPU. We're not even going back out to cache or anything. We're just going to use it immediately for the next step of the operation. And so the speed increase sometimes is absurd. Like for certain operations, it can go up to, you know, a thousand times faster. Now there are times when stuff's only like maybe 20% faster, but that's why I always encourage everybody to benchmark, to use it with their real data sets and to sort of play around because sometimes there's a, there's a level of playing with your data where, yeah, you can get 20% increase, but you just play with it a little bit and all of a sudden you've got 300 times faster. So what's your favorite trick with the Accelerate framework? My favorite thing, just because it's such a quick win, is when you're looking at a piece of code that's just running in a loop and you look inside the loop. Sometimes it's a nested loop, right? You know, and, and you look at what, what what's going on in the middle of that loop and it's just a you're maybe taking a sign of something and, and multiplying it because you're doing maybe some neat little effect somewhere. And usually if you see a loop with math in the middle of the loop, usually you can re- replace the whole loop with maybe a one or two liner with no loops, where the loops are all implicitly taken care of by the Accelerate framework. And you just shove it a giant array of data and you say, hey, you know what I want? every element in this array to do something uh, with some operation. 
maybe it's a filter. Maybe you're you know doing a masking filter for graphics or something. But a lot of these things you can turn into you know one or two liners in a program, and then all of a sudden your iOS app that is running the same as everybody else's on the store. All of a sudden, you're significantly faster at what you do. And so those things are sometimes so easy to find and so quick a win that they're, uh, it, it gets fun in its own nerdy way. <laughs> I was looking through the, some, the, C-Lang, the Clang extensions, and it looks like it has some support for the Accelerate framework, or at least using the s- instructions on the CPU. Do you know anything about that? Well, I know that um, they make use of the features that do become available in, like, for instance, C99 and then C11 in the different specs. And then they obviously, Apple's moved completely over to Clang in the LLVM. So they do make use of whatever they can along the way for these things. Um, but most of the, that's all compiler stuff. A lot of the things that they're doing on in the Accelerate framework, the They've got assembly level optimizations. Uh-huh. And, uh, so while they do make use of the things they can make use of, uh, in Clang for sure. And I, you know, they have to make sure that it's still gonna, if, if Xcode needs to compile back to a certain operating system, they gotta make sure that it falls back to whatever OS you're targeting. Mm-hmm. And, and there are times when the CPU you're targeting, like if you're still building something for the A6 chip, there's a lot of stuff the A6 chip can't do in hardware. So even though you're using an accelerate call, it knows, oh, you're going to the A6 chip. And so what I'm going to do is it's going to become a software routine on that thing. It's not going to be hardware optimized like it would be on the A7. Right. Yeah, I, was, I didn't look closely at it, but I saw that they even had like a vector type that you could use. Oh, sure. And there's a... So one thing I should, I should mention about uh, the other main problem of the Accelerate framework is it's really like five distinct libraries. And this makes adoption really, this is the second part where people say, okay, I'll, I'll take a look at this thing because I hear good things about it. But then you go in there and you're like, there are five totally different libraries in here and they, they look completely different. They have different uh, ways of writing functions. And uh, sometimes they have different data types. Some of them will accept the C's. You know how C, uh, C now, since C99 has a complex number type? Well, it didn't used to. So the audio library has its own complex number. And to make life even more fun, it has two different types of it. <laughs> um, so it's a nightmare when you're first going into it because you're like, why is the level of pain so high when you start using this stuff? But um, they do play fairly nice with each other once you get used to the fact that they have different naming conventions. Like a vImage function call is probably the most normal looking one, and that's probably the place to start for most people because you can it, it's a c it's a c call, but you can kind of understand it. Like they named it nice and long and stuff to give it a descriptive image and it uses standard core graphics data types as input and it gives you a nice output that you can use. So you can plug that into existing graphics calls that you do now and you can kind of get your feet wet the easiest that way. And But then the audio library looks a little different. It's a little older. You know, the audio library goes back to the early 90s because that one started with Next. And those calls got inherited from Next. 
but then it gets even crazier because the, the two core math libraries in there, which have ridiculous names because they were made in Fortran for people who are used to very tersely named things. So you have a BLAS library, B-L-A-S, and then an LAPAC uh, library, all in uppercase, like screaming at you that this came from Fortran. And the naming convention of those functions are six letters long <laughs> because it came from the day when you had six letters to name your function. And so they're indecipherable. So you need like little cheat sheets and stuff to even find your way around in those. And there are times when the uh, documentation on Apple's part for those libraries are maybe, I think the LAPAC documentation is coming straight from uh, the Linux world. So there's nothing specifically Mac about if there's a Mac issue with any of them, it's not mentioned in the documentation. It'll still work just the way you expect, but it's terse, old documentation on some of that stuff. And that's because that stuff started in the 1980s, and it's highly, highly, perfectly optimized, awesome stuff. But it's ugly to look at the function names. Um, I, I ended up putting together a cheat sheet for the Blas library just because I couldn't, I, I found like four or five of them out there and I couldn't make heads or tails of any of them. So I just made my own. So are there any higher level libraries that make use of the Accelerate framework, like maybe OpenCV or something like that? You know, OpenCV doesn't use it. OpenCV's really got its own thing going on. And um, Apple will often do bake-offs against OpenCV. And uh, in most areas, best it. Like, uh, some, sometimes fairly handily. Sometimes it'll be maybe 50% better than an open CV call on something. And sometimes it'll be maybe a few hundred times faster. Mm -hmm. So I think because open CVs open source and, you know, it's, it's a multi-platform, the onus is sort of on that to make use of any calls. Right. There, there is one thing you can do. There are times when if, if a library is making use of the, the cross-platform part of the Accelerate framework, which is the BLAS and the LA pack, which are very mathy kind of things, if you find a, frame, uh, a set of code out there that makes use of that, those old functions, you can actually just throw um, a, a compile flag to say, hey, use the Accelerate framework with this. And it will instantly make use of the hardware-optimized versions of all those functions. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that happens pretty rarely that you find, because those libraries are generally older or maybe things that aren't uh, where Mac programmers are typically looking for libraries. But are there any, so are there any other higher level libraries that you could use to make things easier? Yeah, I mean, I don't know of any right now that like, here's, here's the thing about trying to, I had a dream long, long time ago, this is, twisted dream of somehow wrapping the ugliest parts of the Accelerate framework into Objective-C. But it falls apart not only because of the sheer number of functions that are in there. We're talking like thousands of functions. Mm -hmm. But um, part of the reason it can optimize things so well is that when you make a function call, and if it can make some sense of, oh, you're doing these three functions in a row, it can actually do these optimizations that if you try to wrap it in Objective-C calls, where you're doing this message passing. And so instead of having two instructions happening one after the other, they're actually happening maybe 10 steps removed from each other because of all the indirection that happens on a higher mm -hmm. level. Then 
the, the little tricks that it can pull about leaving the data on the CPU in a certain register so that it goes ultra fast, all of that falls away, or at least it gets pretty diminished. Right. But that's not to say that it doesn't come in handy if you are using just one or two of those functions. You can wrap your own. I do this all the time. I wrap maybe a, you know, a little vector class where I do certain operations so that the code part still looks like beautiful Objective-C code. And what's going on under the hood are these great accelerate multiplies or something like that. But there's, there's not even any higher level C libraries? No, not that I know of. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are pretty high level as they are. Like, for instance, there are calls in here. There's, if you're doing anything involving fast Fourier transforms, um, so if you're doing anything that's analyzing the stock market or just looking at photos, doing edge detection or anything like that, those are really high level things right there. And they're in these beautiful, as simple as you can get them calls in the accelerator. So I should say that it's, it's not, super low-level calls happening in the Accelerate framework. It's just that they are C-level. So mm-hmm. if you have a lot of data and it's all in an NS array, well, yeah, then you might want to rewrite it so that you have a C array instead because then you can just cram this regular C array into this function and get the answer out in this other, you know, in this other array, uh, C array. Right. But uh, it, it's worth mentioning also that a lot of times people don't realize that they can use this framework for very mundane tasks, things that are, you know, a lot of people will come to the session that I do and they're thinking, okay, the program I use doesn't need any of this power. I don't need the speed boost. I don't need the energy efficiency. And I'm not doing like math, science, or multimedia. But a lot of times when you look inside the code, there's some moment where even on a simple app, I'll, I'll use a quick example. I, I have a, a, a an app on the store that tracks book reading habits. It's just a book tracker, you know. But um, there's a moment where I graph something, and I and I wanted when you hit the button, it used to take half a second for the view to slide in, and it would create this graph of a certain aspect about how you're reading stuff. And I looked in there, and I was doing almost like all of the time was being chewed up by me going through the data and just kind of smoothing the data so that it was presentable to the user. And uh, it turned out there was a function in the audio library, in the VDSP, Digital Signal Processing Library, that did it in a one-liner. And I added it in there, and now when you hit the button, the view just slides right in like nothing happened at all, like it was already ready. Oh, very so nice. even really simple iPhone programs can make use of it. Pardon the truck outside. So you you were saying that there is actually some resistance to using it because it's complicated or whatever. Are there any gotchas that you run into with using the Accelerate framework? Absolutely. <laughs> there is definitely a learning curve with it. Um, something I was work has gotten taken up the lion's share of my time this year, but something I had been meaning to get going was a website that would be nothing but simple to complicated examples of using the different parts of the framework. Because even if you're doing a, a simple operation, you might not realize that, okay, um, I need, if you, maybe you're doing something where for whatever reason you need to multiply a matrix times a vector. 
and you didn't realize that the way you're giving it the matrix, everything's upside down. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's inverted in the wrong order. And so there, each little function, the best thing to do is to write a very, very simple C program to make sure that it's doing what you want. In a sense, it's unit testing yourself to understand the function. A lot of times the documentation doesn't, it, that's in here, it's getting better, but it's probably the least helpful documentation in Xcode is the stuff for the Accelerate framework. They, they've made strides, um, but it's still um, very complicated. So the answer is yes, there are a lot of sharp edges in there that don't seem to make any sense. Even when I was trying to get those simple V-image calls, I'm not a great core graphics guy, but there were a lot of things that I could not seem to get to work. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, that's what that third flag is that I thought I could ignore. That thing turns this whole thing on. So besides uh, some of the documentation issues, and uh, I guess it sounds like there are some ordering things that you have to be aware of. Do you, do you find that people struggle with other things or are those kind of the, the major things? Um, I think sometimes the struggle is realizing that what you're doing in your program can even make use of it. Um, a lot of people are thinking about their own program in a certain way, and they're thinking about their data in a certain way, and they're not realizing or, or maybe thinking about it in, in, in the sense of, like, if you have a bunch of data, maybe, maybe it's 10 elements of data, maybe it's 1,000. Are there things that you're doing to this data one at a time that you could instead want to try to crunch all of it as a, as, as one block. And I think what happens is if you can think about it that way, you can um, start shopping around the functions that are in the Accelerate framework and saying, oh, you know what? I don't need this function over here, but now that I'm thinking about it, I could use that to add a whole new feature to my program that I didn't even realize was a, was a possibility. And now I've got a neat new thing that my, that my program can do that my competitors didn't think of because, again, they're, they're thinking about their data in a certain way. Like, the, the easy ones are things like, you know, for game programmers, they could be doing things where if you've, if you've got a massive multiplayer thing and maybe you've got a hundred enemies that you're fighting, are you going around to each one of those enemies and having it do its little calculation for the AI to decide what it wants to do, like if it's going to throw something at you? Um, are you doing all of those individually or are you, are, is there a way to relook at your data for all the enemies that are coming at you and do it using this vector processing where you can do all these calculations at once? And then all of a sudden you have a level of smoothness running in your game where maybe now you can do some things that you couldn't do before because you didn't think your game uh, had enough uh, horsepower to do. It sounds kind of like functional programming. I mean, you have to think a little bit different so you can write everything in just a different way to take advantage of, of everything. Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it does, uh, it is maybe looking, you know, looking slightly oddly at something you've written before and trying to maybe see it from a different angle. And the, the nice thing is Apple's doing a lot of, I mean, they're, they'll kick in GCD if they need to, if they, if they notice that the amount of data you just gave it is appropriate. They'll do things like they're implicitly unrolling loops to get massive speed gains in there. They're doing all these tricks 
under the hood that is very time intensive if you wanted to do it. Like, I mean, GCD is pretty straightforward to do yourself, but you also have to think about, you know, your design pattern in your program if GCD is appropriate for the problem that you're, you're throwing at it, right? So it's nice to have moments where you don't have to think about that. I'm going to crunch all this data, and if GCD is needed, let Apple figure it out. <laughs> you know, let, let, let these routines handle some of these things for me. So I, I've i never actually uh, taken the time to do much with Accelerate Framework, and I know that I am probably neglecting to ask something. Are, are there things about, about Accelerate that we, we haven't brought up that people ought to know? Well, here, here's something that I haven't mentioned that's also part of the, uh, in the win category, is that um, Apple is making these things available. They migrated it from the Mac over to the iOS, and... If you are somebody who's developing for both sets of devices, they're exactly the same calls for both of them. So even if your data is maybe, uh, I know there are issues now that we got 64-bit computing coming on the iOS side, there's a lot of compatibility worries that are out there. And this is one of those things where Apple's taking care of a lot of this for you. So if you are, you know... If you, if you bothered to learn maybe one function back five years ago that you threw in a program, you don't have to worry about it now. You don't have to worry about the new chips that came out. You don't have to worry about that you move that whole code thing over to the iOS side. Uh, it's just a lot of uh, things you don't have to worry about. And the more you can have that in life, the more you can move on and not just rewrite the same bit of code every time something gets updated. And, and I should say, this isn't something where you go through a program and you say, oh, no, I'm going to have to rewrite my whole program, rethink about everything. There are times when using the Accelerate framework really comes down to, I'm going to add these six lines of code somewhere in my program, and that's it. And you made your gain in the area where you needed to make your big speed gain, or maybe you had a battery life issue. Somebody says they love your program, but it runs down their phone, so they stopped using it. And you're like, oh, you know, I need to really make this more battery efficient. So maybe it's a it's a simple app where you're just, you know, uh, doing something visual and it's chewing up the CPU. Well, now you can maybe relieve the CPU from using so much battery. But it's often just a few perfect places that you put it into your code. So even if you learn it once and then you just use this one particular function, so you've just dipped your toe into the framework, maybe then when you're on the ne next project that you're working on, you're like, oh, this is another one of those moments where I, not, maybe not that exact same function, but I know there's got to be something just like it to do this other task. And then you, you drop in this magic gem just in the right place. And like I say, oftentimes the code you are writing is more hideous than the code that you are avoiding by using the accelerator. And th that's one of the things I try to do with the talks is I try to show side-by-sides because uh, unless somebody shows you it, it's hard to believe somebody when they say that. Especially there's something called a convolution integral. If uh, like graphics people tend to be more familiar with this, it's how in the 80s Photoshop became Photoshop. You would look at a pixel and you say, I'm going to do something where I take maybe the average of all the pixels around this pixel. And then I'm going to give it that value. And then I'm going to do it to every pixel on the whole thing. And then all of a sudden you discovered that you made a blur effect. 
and you're like, I'm going to write this and make a million dollars. And maybe you slightly change that effect where maybe you just look at the pixels in to the above it and to the right of it, and all of a sudden now you've got this slight shadow effect in your that you've created. So doing that operation to all the pixels in a, in a grid like that, that's called a convolution integral. And many kinds of convolution things are built into the Accelerate framework. So basically all of Photoshop up to some year is probably mapped pretty directly to one of these functions. And you can use it not just for images, but you can use it for anything that has um, two-dimensional data, and you can do it for bigger grids than just a three-by-three three grid. You can do arbitrarily large grids, but the, the, it'll slow down if you pick up something too big. Mm-hmm. This would work great with machine learning because they're doing all, all kinds of things with vectors and matrices. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically, if you're cracking a math book at all, you should know the accelerator framework. So if you're into neural network stuff or you're just learning that, that's a great example. But like I say, a lot of times people don't realize that what they're doing is mathy. And I, and I think the math people, the people who are into math, they kind of they know that there must be some fast version of a function that they need out there somewhere. And so they've probably stumbled into the Accelerate framework. But it's also people doing much more average programming who can take advantage of it. And it's really having your machine do some operation as best as anyone knows how to right now. So, and, and all the really hard part of that is being done for free by Apple. And they're just hanging it out there for you to use. So how did you find it? How did you find the Accelerate framework? I'm one of those people who went to the sessions in 2004 and five and said, oh my God, is this great? And then I sat down for maybe 10 minutes with it and I wanted to just chuck my computer out the window. (laughs) So, and it took several years until I actually sat down and said, I'm going to learn how to make, how to make this silly little simple function work. And then I did it and I'm like, okay, I got the simplest possible function working. And then I just kept working at it. And I started with what I thought was the easiest library, the Blas library. And then I worked my way up and got a little more bold trying things out. And I'd say for me, the hardest was V image because I'm so wet behind the ears with the graphic stuff. Um, so that was uh, to me the most complicated, but I think for people who do graphic stuff a lot, they might find that the easiest place to start because it's already using the data types that they use for core graphics. Hmm. And a lot of people start with VDSP because that, you know, if they're doing any audio processing and it is worth repeating Apple's marketing on this, something like not, uh, 18 of the top 20 selling Mac apps are all using the accelerate framework. So no coincidence there. This is how, it's not just that you're doing what you're doing really well, fast and energy efficient, but you're probably also doing effects that nobody else knows how to do because they're not taking advantage of what are some pretty neat functions. Awesome. All right. Well, we're getting pretty close to our time, and I want to make sure that we get time for the picks. Did you have a question, Rod? Are you trying to break in well, before I wrap it I, up? I had, I had one more, more last one last question and related to what he just said. And I was wondering what so what are what are some of the audio things you can do? Is it just DSP or are there are there other things you can do? Um well I mean there are hundreds of functions in there, so I'm not really sure where to right. start. <laughs> well just one example for 
Well, uh, there is a great uh, effect Chris Adamson was doing. Uh, he was doing a ring modulator where you basically just um, amplitude modulate an input and, and you just give it a sine wave so it'll, it'll squash it and then let it open over and over at a certain frequency. And uh, the funny thing is it's basically uh, what they use for, to uh, make the sound of the Daleks in Doctor Who. Uh-huh. <laughs> Exterminate. Exactly. So, so the funny thing, so that loop is actually an ideal use case. There's a, there's a function right in VDSP that allows me to take an array of data, multiply it by another array of data, right? So that seems simple enough. And you're like, okay, but why would I want to use that? Well, then you shop around and there's a different function that will turn an array of data into a sine wave all in one go, one, one line of code. So I make my sine wave and I multiply it by the audio coming in and now I got a ring modulator. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's mostly once you get into it and you look at the functions and if you start combining them, you realize the the possibilities are really they're pretty endless. And and Apple keeps every single OS release. They have all sorts of new parts that they've improved and that they've added functions. This latest dub dub, they had a couple of great announcements. I think it's still NDA, so I won't say. But anyway, it's 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 a lot of free win, and it's ongoing, and it's being done for you for free. So that's my pitch. Cool. It sounds really cool. We'll have to go dig into it, and then maybe come back yeah. around to talk about it again. Hopefully, this fall I can get that uh, set of examples up at least to get people started. Yeah, that would be great. Let us know when you do that, and we'll. Uh... We'll let people oh, know sure. about it on the show. For sure, yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and do the picks. Rod, you want to start us off? Sure. I used to have one pick, and somewhat related. Um, there is a language out there called F-Script, and it's kind of like a small talk that's built on top of Coco. And the way it's related is how it has a lot of support built in for array programming, so you can treat arrays as units and do all kinds of neat things with them. So that's my pick, F-Script. All right, I've got a couple of picks. I've been playing with a, a DevOps system called Chef, and you can use it to set up uh, remote servers and deploy stuff to them, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. My first pick is a series of videos by Nathan Harvey, who's one of the hosts of the Food Fight Show. And um, he, he got together with a fellow who was uh, looking for some help getting started with Chef, and, um, anyway, what wound up happening was they got together and they did like a Google Hangout and, and worked through the examples. And it really got me to where I need to be to be able to deploy some of the, um, applications that I set up frequently for people. So, um, I get requests a lot to set up Rails apps since that's what I spend a lot of time doing. Things like Redmine or, um, Discourse or things like that. So, um, I've been working on, uh, Chef cookbooks for those. And like I said, it's, it's been pretty cool to just work through those examples. So, uh, my picks are, uh, Nathan's, uh, tutorial series and hosted chef and chef itself. So, um, I'll put links to those in the show notes. And, uh, hopefully if you're looking to deploy a server that that'll get you well on your way. Jeff, what are your picks? Well, I got to say, it's very, very funny. Um, I had the F script link up that I was going to suggest as well. <laughs> I'm a heavy F-Script user, uh, and especially for Mac development, I consider it invaluable. 
Uh, and I'll just add to what he was saying that you can inject into live running code FScript. And so if you're debugging something, you can attach an FScript object browser and console. And while your program's running, you can play with all the stuff live in a scripting environment and see what effects it has. And sometimes it can cut your debugging time way, way down. But am I allowed to pimp a site that I run? Yeah. Okay. There's a site that I run called uh, the Cocoa Literature List. And it's uh, not anything I do for any money. There are no ads. It's just something I did for myself, and then I made it available. But it's a, a site that uh, indexes articles on programming in Cocoa, uh, Mac and iOS. And it's a uh, it's got 3,800 articles listed in there. Oh, and, wow. it, and it also allows you to search by content. So that if you're even looking for a function, like if you put a function name into Google and you, you'll come up with maybe 10 stack overflows where half of everybody's doing it wrong. If you put the function name in here, you'll, it'll come up in the context of an article that somebody's written. And so I find that I use it all the time and I, it's, if other people want to use it, it's, it's a good tool. Very nice. That sounds really cool. I'd, I'd have to. I'd like to compare notes with you because I've thought about doing things like that for some of the other communities I serve. So, Oh, sure. All right. Well, I think that's uh, the show. I will, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. It was kind of a short show, but uh, I know that we had some time constraints constraints among us and needed to wrap it up pretty quickly. But thanks for coming, Jeff. It was really interesting to talk to you about this. And hopefully, oh, hopefully this solves some problems for some people who are dealing with things that you know, they kind of have a free resource that they can just go to. Yeah. And if somebody wants to email me, feel free. Uh, all right. Well, thanks well, thank for you coming. very much for having me. Thanks, yeah, no Jeff. Problem. We'll catch you all next week.